This episode is brought to you by the Arvada Center because they're kicking off their summer concert series in June. Relax under the stars at the Arvada Center's outdoor amphitheater and take in acts like Melissa Etheridge, Big Richard, Tower of Power, Preservation Hall Jazz Band, The Spin Doctors, and so much more. Concerts are scheduled for June through September. You can find a whole schedule of events and get your tickets today at arvadacenter.org. That's arvadacenter.org. Today on CityCast Denver. The Aurora Police Department released body cam footage from the shooting of 14-year-old Jordell Richardson, but it doesn't seem to have made the situation any clearer. Also, Denver School Board Director Ayante Anderson made a big announcement that could shake up local politics again. Plus, Colorado now has a law that would allow your elected officials to block you on social media. Producer Paul Caroli joins me to dig into all these local stories that matter. Oh, And before we get started, congratulations to the Denver Nuggets on their first ever history-making win of the NBA Finals. Today is Tuesday, June 13th. I'm Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Hey, Paul. Good morning, Bree. So we're going to be talking about the news of the last couple of days, um, but I think we really have to start with probably the most pressing and serious story we have, which is um, last week, um, Aurora Police Department released the footage of um, Jordell Richardson, the Jordell Richardson body cam footage. Um, Paul, can you talk about, can you explain what happened? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, So the story starts about two weeks ago on June 1st when Aurora Police shot and killed 14-year-old Jordell Richardson after he and a group of other teens robbed a convenience store um, in Aurora. But, you know, to be specific, you know, Aurora's a big place. This is Dayton Street and East 8th Avenue, just on the east side of uh, the Lowry campus, which I I always appreciate hearing. I mean, this is our community. This is a place where, I mean, I've driven up and down that street many times. It's so... You know it. It's it's chilling to to know that something like this could happen on the streets of our city. Um, But, you know, it's a familiar story and here it is happening again. Um... As for the body camera footage itself, um, it was released on Friday afternoon, kind of in a a controversial way. And I have to say, I don't know the exact rules for like what police are required to do in terms of transparency, but the chief, uh, the interim chief, I should say, Art Acevedo, he was Mm -hmm. leading this press conference. He talked about how he had showed the video to the family earlier in the week. And this was like the soonest that he was legally allowed to release it. And it's, um, it's quite hard to watch. Uh, it shows two officers pull up to this convenience store. You can see a person wearing a hoodie running away from the store into an alley. The officers chase him. They tackle him. And in the span of about five seconds, there's a lot of f- like fast movement. Um, a single shot is fired. And then the officers are giving this 14-year-old boy CPR. And it is horrible to watch. It's stomach churning. I've been thinking about it for days since I saw it. Um, the officers say that the, their justification for the shooting was that the, that Jordell had a, a pellet gun that looked like a real handgun. So I guess it was some kind of self-defense thing for them, or at least that's what they said. But, um, but it was in fact a pellet gun. I'm wondering what has the response been since this video was released? 
Well, the Richardson family had already contracted with a lawyer beforehand. I think once you know, once they were aware of the situation and they had seen their own video, they planned their own press conference for right after this police press conference. And there were hundreds of protesters there to hear their side of the story. The lawyer uh, for the family, who is also the same lawyer who represented uh, Elijah McLean's family at one point and Christian Glass's family at one point. Um, he accused the police of of lying about whether or not Richardson had a gun. So it seems like that's going to be the main sticking point, or at least that's the one thing that seems to be like dominating the narrative so far. Um, we, we did see those protesters, you know, march down the streets outside the um, the Aurora City Center. I think we might see more protests this week. Um, the activists are questioning the police's response, whether or not the shooting was justified. And I don't know, I think, I would invite people if you, you know, if you can to watch the video for yourself and see what happened. Um, they do have other videos that they have released like convenience store surveillance footage, but there's just not that much. And it's, it's, I found it very difficult to see what is happening and when it happened because it's, it's all in about five seconds. It's an extraordinarily short amount of time to make these huge decisions. And, and obviously there is no justification. I mean, it's a 14 year old boy who right. is now no longer with us. It's not, you can't justify that. Yeah. That's where I'm at. Honestly, um, as a parent of a boy, um, as a sister of a boy who got in a lot of trouble as a teenager, uh, my brother is a lovely person. My brother was a teenage boy once and he did a lot of things that were dumb you know, that we're just not smart because it, we're not fully formed yet. We don't know what's going on. And this is the, the horrendous part is we can never talk to Jordell. We don't know. But I just feel so strongly that there is nothing that could justify shooting a 14-year-old. 14, he's 14. And I think about, I'm raising a son in this world who's blonde haired and blue eyed and will have a lot um, of leg ups in the world that he has no control over. Um, so I don't have to worry the same way that other parents do, but I still do. Um, and I just, my heart aches for his, his family, his teachers, his friends. It's just, I don't know. I couldn't watch that. I couldn't watch. I can't watch any of these videos to be honest with you because human suffering is like so intense but the fact that like this didn't have to happen to this kid it just really it just I don't know what to say but um I just want to say I'm, I'm so sorry to his family and I hope that we can help them you know I I feel the same way I feel the same way um, I know, you know, in terms of the legal process where we're going from here, I mean, there's the, there's the human part of this where like, this is obviously unjustifiable. It's a horrible thing that happened in our community, but the legal process, uh, Colorado public radio reports that the shooting has prompted multiple investigations, including an internal investigation within Aurora PD, as well as an inquiry from the 18th judicial critical incident response team. Um, the officers involved are currently on administrative leave for what that's worth. Um, but, but that's where we are now. Obviously we're going to be talking about this as, as the weeks and as those investigations go on. And I, I feel like I'm wondering, I, I saw this too. I think you saw this. There was this sort of narrative around the, the summer of violence happening again. And this was something that was characterized in the nineties when I was at, when I was Jordell's age, that was when the summer of violence was, was supposedly happening. And, 
Um, I don't know how that serves this conversation. You know what I mean? I totally know what you mean. I don't understand how to how to even put those two things in the same conversation, really. Right. I mean, people who are complaining, who are already warning of this, like, quote unquote, summer of violence and like, Ugh. youth gun violence is on the rise. Like, is that, like, that kind of thing just like, it leads you to the wrong place, I think. It just leads you to the wrong conversation. I, I, I've personally been thinking ever since I saw this video, just a lot about Terrence Roberts, yeah. uh, the former gang member who ran for mayor and- we talked to him about this issue in our community, the, these incidents that happen with police and the way young people get involved with gangs and, you know, having, he's speaking from a place of personal experience and he would just always talk about poverty and right. economics and opportunity. Like he wouldn't talk about the rules of engagement with police. Obviously there's no. a time for that conversation, but for him it was like, you know, we just have to like make some, something happen for these communities. So someone like Jordell has somewhere else to be on that afternoon or something that he's yes. excited about doing. And there's this line from the video that I can't get mm. out of my head from that Jordell Richardson said that like just captures the whole thing for me. He said, and I think he's talking about the kids that he was with when they were robbing the convenience store. He said, they made me do it. I didn't know who they were. They made me do it. Yeah. And I just think that says it all about how this, this happened. Well, and it, it's like a prime example of what we experience as teenagers, right? Peer pressure, mm -hmm. pressure to do something that we don't want to do, or um, I don't, we don't know the situation, you know, but like trying to fit in, or I, I'm glad you brought up Terrence Roberts because I thought back to that interview that I did with him and I asked him about that being labeled a former gang member could be a detriment to some people. And um, I just appreciated that he's always been forthright about that experience. Like he can't change it. It happened. It was his life. And, um, but it also made me think differently about what it means to be labeled as a former gang member. It also means that you know things and you understand things in a way that folks who have not been involved in that type of a social situation would have no idea. And so the Terrence Roberts of the worlds, I hope are able to do some guiding and maybe be put into positions like I'm thinking about, I'm just thinking about appointees for Mike Johnston and thoughts in the future. How do we deal with youth gang violence? We get folks in here who have experienced it to help them guide a process that keeps things like this from happening, or at least prevents it as best that we can. We can't, because we're not even talking about the police element at this point. We're talking about, do kids have enough to do? Do kids have enough yeah. support? Do kids have opportunities rooting for them yes yes so I'll, I'll be interested to see how that part of the conversation unfolds because there's a lot of people pushing for us to get deeper about what happens to teenagers yeah. when they don't have support so but but for the richardson family in particular there are a couple of things that are going to be happening this yes. week one uh the family is running a gofundme that we'll link to in the show notes they're raising money for their pursuit of justice they've raised about sixteen thousand dollars at the time of this recording we'll put a link to that in our show notes you can see a, a picture of, of jordell on that page as well um and then also uh this friday there's going to be an event outside the colorado uh capitol at 5 p.m uh planned for um eulogies from family and faith leaders there'll be a processional march and um, I think this will be another opportunity to, to, to think about what this means for, for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad we'll point, we'll point folks that way if they want to support the family. Um, okay. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, more news.
And we're back. We're going to talk about politics. <laughs> we're going to talk about the Denver School Board. And those things are intertwined. Let's be honest. It's a it's a governing body for DPS. It's also a highly political body. Um, what is going on with uh, the school board? Politics, baby. <laughs> I can't get enough. The election's over, but I'm hooked. I know. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, it's never ending. <laughs> well, the the one race that was uh, that we were going to look forward to this fall, that's the big mm. news. There was this, you know, Kwame Spearman was running for mayor. He's one of the co-owners of the Tattered Cover. Uh, and he said that he dropped out and he was going to run for the school board uh, for the at-large seat against Aonte Anderson, yes. who's this firebrand uh, progressive voice on the, on the school board, very young, 24 years old. Um, so that was going to be the big showdown this fall for us to look forward to, us in the media at least. And um, turns out that's not going to happen after all, because Anderson announced this week that he is not going to be running for re-election to the school board. Instead, he's got his sights set on higher office. Um, he is going to be running for Leslie Harrod's seat in the state legislature, House District 8, which is oh. Northeast Denver. Yeah. It's Okay. I don't know if you can answer this, Paul. Is she stepping down because she's on the mayor's transition team? She's term limited. Okay, she's term. Because I was like, wait a minute. I feel like they are allies of each other and that would be silly. But it makes sense then. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Well, uh, you've already mentioned it. He's, I think he's the youngest person to ever be on the school board. He's really been involved. Um, he ran for school board when he was like a teenager initially, right? He ran for school board first when he was 17. That's he was right. a senior at Manual High School. I remember I was just starting out doing Denver journalism stuff at the time. I interviewed him about that first run for school board when he was, and he was living at like a family friend's house. He had like two phones. He was very much like, I'm this, I, he knew he what he wanted. What has happened? What's been going on with him since he's been on the school board? Well, a couple of th main things. Uh, there, the one thing is, his work on the board itself. Um, he's been known as a voice for, um, against school closures, against cops in schools. He led the vote. He led the campaign to then go lead to the vote to remove school resource officers, AKA cops from schools a couple of years ago. That's since become quite controversial and contested. Um, but at the same time, uh, those stances have, and also, you know, his personal conduct on the board has led to this conflict with board president Zochi Gaitan in the last couple of years. And this is, I mean, ask any, any Denverite and they'll say, you know, the school board is not, not doing so great. And it's because these two are in this personal conflict. Um, and it's mean meant that the board is really dysfunctional. They've they've paid I don't know does tens of thousands of dollars to mediators to help them actually work together, but it's just not going well, and it's it's kind of ugly. I have to say I didn't pay it a super amount of attention to it until uh, this last election when uh, when Director Anderson was elected along with this bigger progressive slate, which so she was part of as well, mm -hmm. and it kind of just like got more attention in a way that more people were paying attention. But like you're saying, that attention's not been great attention. Yeah. It's, it's, it's gotten ugly. Lots of very personal attacks. So I, I guess my question would be, what's his reasoning for running or like why, what has sparked him in particular to run for this other than uh, Leslie's termed out? I genuinely thought, oh, he's going to, he's going to run again for a school board for sure. That's his passion. But what has he said? Why he's, he's, he's interested in a higher office? Yeah, I, I totally had the same impression. I thought he was really invested in the school board. I mean, this was his whole thing in high school. He was like, there's no students on the school board. Yeah. I should be that student. 
Um, but yeah, now he has his sights set on higher office. I think he always has. He's a really ambitious guy. Um, but according to an interview with Denverite, he says that he, quote, uh, got really frustrated when state lawmakers did not pass the assault weapons ban earlier mm-hmm. this year. And also, uh, the other one that was a big deal for him was the the bill to lift the statewide ban on rent control. So those two things together um, seem to have helped him make this decision to run for higher office. Interesting. I mm-hmm. mean, those are definitely issues too that affect young people. So I still see him as being someone like ear to the ground with his with students. I mean, that's the thing about Anderson. He's He is a really principled guy. I mean, say what you will about him. He believes in what he believes in and he yeah. always has. I mean, he's a young guy. It's maybe six, seven years in elected office. But these are the things he wants to do in the house in, for House District 8. And I think it's the same kind of thing we've heard from him his entire public life. He said he talks about criminal justice reform, police accountability, free public education, uh, f- m- mental health care in schools, protecting curriculum that mandates the teaching of black, indigenous, and Latino history, protecting the rights of LGBTQ students across the state. I mean, this is what he believes in. Can we talk a little bit about what he has done or what he's been a part of since the, he was elected to the board? Because they've done some things. Sure, absolutely. So I mentioned the cops and schools thing. This was a couple of years ago. They voted to remove school resource officers. That has been contested. That is actually still being contested yes. on the board as we speak. You know, our students are off going off onto summer break right now. But um, the board is still disagreeing over what exactly, what policy is going to be uh, holding for our schools next year, for whether or not high schools or, you know, different schools are going to have police in them or not. But the other things he's done... Um, Raising wages for paraprofessionals. That's something that he really cared about. That's huge. Getting every school to have at least one all-gender bathroom. Yes. I mean, think about the way Republicans on a national <sighs> level are weaponizing that issue. And yeah. um, and here he is protecting our LGBTQ students here in our district. And yeah. Those are all big. Those are all major things. I just wanted us to lay those out because, again, sometimes the, the noise um, – gets ahead of everything and you forget like well, this person also also has been in uh, office and has done some things so yeah let's talk about the noise that's the next one so this social media bill <laughs> yes, this is something i know of. you're really paying attention to <laughs> the whole legislative session we talked about it a few weeks ago it's a bill about uh, whether or not lawmakers can block you on on like Facebook and Twitter and stuff? Yes. Bree, what's happening there? Well, we talked about it a few weeks ago while it was being discussed and it passed. And last week, Governor Polis uh, signed it into law. So uh, it was a, what was interesting was it was a bipartisan effort from uh, notable Dems, like again, Representative Leslie Herod and Republican Matt Soper of Delta, who you might remember is the guy who proclaimed downtown Denver a toilet bowl. So- Oh, if, really? he, if his name rang a bell for you as it did for me, <laughs> I had to Google it. And I was like, I'm pretty sure this is the toilet bowl guy. It's the toilet bowl guy. Um, but <laughs> to be so it was interesting this because it doesn't rag doesn't block people from ragging on electeds on podcasts, right? Like nope. we're still allowed to podcasts do that. Podcasts are okay. free. <laughs> Made the, we're open. If he comes we out with another banger like downtown's a toilet bowl, <laughs> I, I'm going to want to talk about that. Oh, I for, I pretty much have a Google alert for him at this point. Um, so it doesn't mean um, governor the Governor Jared Polis account can block you. It okay. means the Jared Polis account can block you. So um, if you have a public page like one dir- one linked directly to your office, um, 
you can't block people. But if you have hmm. a separate page, which is like your personal page, um, you that you do not use for public business, like you cannot use it for public business, um, you're allowed to block folks there. Hmm. And the way that uh, Leslie Herod sort of defended it or talked about why it was important was she said that um, that the founding fathers <laughs> didn't contemplate this level of uh public interaction right there's this is this is why we have to which i agree with her to a certain extent we cannot apply like we have to realize things have changed so much that the way that we communicate and the way that things happen may not have legislation yet right that's been the yeah. struggle with the internet from the beginning um and her which uh, which founding farmer or which founding father you think would have been best on online <laughs> benjamin franklin i think franklin i mean he was the tech he's guy right he's a tech yeah. guy I guess. I mean, I was like, I don't think any of them would, to be honest with you. Uh, nobody that grew up, you know, whatever they say, native to the internet. You didn't. If you didn't grow up with the internet, chances are you're not as good at it. So yeah, hundred percent. I would just, I would just say that. Um, but the way that Representative Herod explained it um, to try to put it rooted in like an in-person situation was, she said, if if someone comes into the house gallery and yells obscenities, we can ask them to leave. If they come to our town halls, we can do the same. Um, but social media, we have to figure out how to manage that. So she's kind mm. of saying, like, you shouldn't be able to come and yell at someone on their uh, on their personal uh, social media page. But you can do so on their politician official electeds page. Hmm. So I think what last time we talked about this, we, we talked about it being a free speech issue. And that's mm -hmm. where a lot of the opposition came from. Is that is that still the case? Yeah, that's like exactly who it was like. The ACLU was the biggest um, group that was opposing it. Again, this was a bipartisan effort that sailed through. So it was really for, <laughs> no, there was no political will here. It was like outside groups saying this is our concern. Um, and there was someone from the First Amendment Institute who said under Colorado's new law, a public official can opt to use a personal social media account to carry out other duties of their office and claim to be free to block critics from that account as long as they don't, do not use government resources to operate the account. So the concern is you may say this is your, your personal page, but you still may be doing unofficial business on it, right? Come down to our, right. you know, our neighborhood barbecue while we'll be talking about this initiative or I'll be at the, you know downtown whatever parade come and meet you, come and meet me but it's like if you do all that you're still doing government business you know what i mean it's kind of hard yeah. um and i just i don't know my, my concern i have a couple concerns I, i'm obviously with the aclu on this one um the other thing i i think is that um politicians are doing a great job at protecting themselves online this is a constant issue for most people, particularly marginalized groups online. And it feels a little frustrating and hierarchical that you can protect yourself. But um, wait, how about, do you mean? Like you're well, saying that the officials have given themselves this like extra privilege? Yeah, pretty much that I don't have. Also, I'm sure they, you do. You can block well, someone on Twitter. But here's the struggle that I have is you can block someone. They can. I can block someone on Twitter if a politician Ha with a large following says something about me, their followers can come at me by the hundreds. Mm. I can't block all those people. I mean, I can. It'll just take all day. And it just feels a little bit like I'm not making this about me. I'm more making this about public safety online. What else are the rest of us going to do? Because to me, this is sort of codifying the hierarchical, hierarchical power that they have as politicians. And like they ele mm. we elected them, but they don't necessarily have to listen to us you know 
This is I can see it on both. I can see both sides. This is a tricky one. I I also I I can too because I also think I think about the folks online that get that un uneven amount of abuse and a lot of times it's uh it's politicians of color, it's women politicians, it's politicians in the LGBTQ community and those are the folks I'm thinking about. But um I just wish there was a way that we could do this that protected more people and didn't just make it a, an us versus them thing because it it just doesn't it I don't know it just doesn't feel like it's protective for the rest of us in the same way and like you hmm. you kind of choose public life when you run for office you also there's a power dynamic there yeah I guess that's true you know like and this is what public life is in the 21st century in, right you know in 2023 so so are you signing up for this kind of abuse? I mean, it used to come in the form of phone calls to your right. office or like, you know, angry letters, but now it's replies. Well, and I see where, and that's the thing is like that transition, Paul, is huge. Sure. Send letters, send, call and leave voicemails. Sometimes people will be doxing you. People will be, you know what I mean? The, the internet has so much more of an ability to be in a mechanism for harassment and abuse. So that's where I empathize with politicians, and I totally agree that they should be protected. I just feel like there's just some separation here between the regulars and the the not the hires, the higher ups. So you know, this is reminding me of um of a, something my friend told me the other day. A friend who's like loves loves TikTok and was really upset when Michael Bennett wanted to ban TikTok. <laughs> and you know, we had this conversation about AI on our show. Here's another real world use case for AI that's causing problems for our elected officials. My friend said that every day she tells ChatGPT to write her an angry letter <gasps> complaining to Michael Bennett and asking him not to ban TikTok oh and sends it gosh. to him. It takes her like five seconds, but now that's in his inbox. That's his constituent. His 22-year-old intern is having to deal with that person. Yeah. That so like, what do, you, what do we do with that? I don't know. Right. I mean, I guess that's where we are. This is just the this is the beginning of a conversation we should have been having for the last 20 years. <laughs> yeah. I think the good politicians will figure out a way to find the signal and the noise and to to find what people care about and to run on those priorities and the ones that get distracted by the trolls will not be as successful. Yeah. And we also have to acknowledge that there will probably be uh, a dissolution of some of these social media sites in the next 5 years anyway. <laughs> yeah. So that's another huge thing. Mm -hmm. Well, before we go, there's something fun we want to talk about, which is food and yeah. a big restaurant opening that has you're really excited about because I know that you have been following this chef for a long time. What's going on and who are we talking about, Paul? Oh, we're talking about Carrie Baird. So, you know, I mean, Carrie Baird is just like one of those people in the city that I think is like super interesting and fun to pay attention to because, I mean, it started in 2017. She was on uh, my favorite reality show, Top Chef, which is a reality cooking show on Bravo. She was on season 15, uh, which was the season that took place here in Colorado. And I don't know if, the, I mean, I know the Colorado Tourism Board paid a lot of money to get that show to come shoot here and show off our excellent food scene. They could not have asked for a better poster child than Carrie Baird because she did great on the show. She went super far. She was like, you know, overcame some adversity. She cooked some eggs in a oven she made in the snow. It was just great. She just did really well, very charismatic. 
Um, at the time, she was the chef at Bardo um, in uh, on 32nd. And ever since, I've just paid attention to see what, what's happened with her. And it's kind of a sad story because after she left the show, um, she went off on her own. She left Bardo and she opened a couple of restaurants right before the pandemic. Oh, man. Bad timing. Uh, I mean, no one could timing. know. But also, to be fair, no one exactly. could know. Yeah. Just like terrible timing. They didn't go well. Um, and I've been waiting to see what she would do next. And here we have her next project. And she's really, what, what's exciting to me is that she's really embraced everything about her, her TV work and like whatever, like celebrity, minor celebrity chefdom she has and, and brought it into this restaurant. So she's working with this culinary creative group, which actually owns Bardo. So she's gone back to her old employers and they're working together and they opened this new place called the Fox and the Hen this past weekend. It's a breakfast place on 32nd Avenue. It features her famous, her signature dish, fancy toast, which she won several challenges with on Top Chef. Um, and she'll serve it to you five different ways. They all sound amazing. Croque Monsieur, tuna melts, whipped ricotta, and jam. I think it's in the old ceviche spot. Okay. I was just trying to picture. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay. She's also serving the huevos rancheros that she cooked on another TV show. She calls them uh, the huevos rancheros that beat Bobby Flay. So you can go and have that. That's fun. And then my favorite little anecdote was from Molly Martin's piece for Westward. Um, The Bloody Mary that's on the menu. It's made with mezcal because... Uh, Carrie Baird met up with Aaron Paul and Brian Cranston when they were in town a few months ago, shilling their new mezcal. And uh, so now you can order Brian Cranston's mezcal Bloody Mary at the Fox and the Hen on 32nd Avenue. Okay. They also have a killer patio. Just want to say that. Oh, um, really? Oh, the, heck yeah. Brunch on a patio. Sign me up. It's I, Usually if I'm over in that part of town, I'm over at Uncle. My favorite spot. But this is a really fun strip if you haven't been down it in a while. There's a lot of different restaurants. It's just such a it's such a nice little section of the Highland area. It's totally Highland. I mean it's it's the thing that people think of, yeah. I think, is that like new. If we're Highland gonna call scene. that area the Highlands, <laughs> that's the Highland scene for sure. Yeah. And I'm just excited for it sounds like it's going well. It sounds like they had a big opening weekend and I, I'm looking forward to trying it out. Um, cool. Well, I'm looking forward to that. I, that's so nice to know. I'm glad something cool went into that spot. If you go to the Fox and the Hen, let us know how it goes. Let us know what your favorite thing is. Maybe if you have feelings about 32nd Avenue, we have not really explored that part of the city, Paul. Mm-hmm. So if you have some thoughts on 32nd Avenue, let us know. Um, you can call us at 720-500-5418. We are always looking to hear from you. Um, but yeah, tell us what you think about the Fox and the Hen or anything else you like on that part of the uh, Highlands. You heard me say it, Paul. <laughs> In the Highlands. Highlands. (laughs) Okay, well, thanks, Paul. Thanks, Bree. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why don't you take a minute to tell Representative Matt Soper of Delta about us. Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you later. You could really feel the enthusiasm.